It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com What's going on, everybody? Hope you are having a wonderful week so far. Um, podcast time. This one's a special one. MK. Um, I don't really need to introduce him. One of the biggest artists in the world. In the world? In the world. Um, I've known MK for a pretty long time. Um, he, The first time I met him, he probably doesn't even remember the first time I met him. But he played my track, uh, Big Booty, at uh, Motion in Bristol, and I went up. And in fact, I think I, I think I messaged him beforehand, and we we met there. Um, and we've done a lot of traveling together, written some music together. Um, one of the nicest guys ever, and has some great stories. So, without further ado, MK, Mister MK, what's cooking? Up, oh, Willie. How's it going? I'm good, man. You know, sunny California. You're in cold Detroit. Snowy Detroit. You're about to get here, though. Yeah. I know. Excited, though. Yeah. How's how's life? You were in Big Bear last time I spoke to you. Yeah, I was in Big Bear. And in the snow. Excuse me. Not snowboarding. Uh, No, no. I I mean, I'm too clumsy. I'd break something. (laughs) Talking about clumsy. We're going to talk about London. Oh, <laughs> yeah, talk about it. <laughs> I'm still a little sore. Are you still sore? Yeah. yeah, I had those. For people that know that don't know, I had these Balenciaga um, like snow boots on. Not snow boots. I'm sorry, wellies. Wellies. They're wellies. Yeah. Um, actually, they were Croc wellies. Balenciaga Croc wellies. So the inside, they're. they're just huge on the inside. Are they comfortable? Mm, they're not as bad as you would think. Mm. They look like they're uncomfortable. Yeah. But they were fine. But my feet are so big. So when I walk down the stairs, I have to turn my feet sideways to walk down the stairs. And luckily, I was on the last step at the bottom and I rolled my ankle and just like bit it like, like flat out. Oof. And but luckily, I, I had a few drinks that night, so it didn't bother me right away until the night day after yeah then i I looked at it i'm like whoa one ankle was like this big went home went to the doctor got x-rays they're like it's not broken or anything oh that's handy yeah it was still swollen for most of december um it's a little okay now still a little tender Mm. but i'm all right but yeah i'm clumsy Oh man, how's um how's life been anyway? How was how's Christmas and all that? I haven't really caught up with you. Christmas was good. Um 
I bought a house. What? I bought a, another house. Yeah, yeah, I bought another house not too far, five minutes from my house. I'm going to move my studio there. Sick. Um, And just get a proper, because, you know, you, well, you've seen my studio in my house. It's in my guest house. Yeah, yeah. But I, I bought, like, a new house. I'm going to make, like, that the Area 10, you know, four-bedroom studio. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Yeah. Are you going to do, like, yeah. live rooms and stuff, or are you just going to do, how are you going to do No, it? I'm not going to. I'm not gonna do a live room, um, but just a vocal booth. Yeah. Um, do you do many vocals in house, or do you, is it mostly like external? I have, yeah. I have. I think I, I've done a lot of animal stuff here, mm. pleasure state stuff. Um, yeah. But I haven't in the past year or two. Yeah. But I've, I've recorded animal here. But I want to get. I want. I want to get into doing more vocals myself because mm. a lot of times, you know how it is. Lately, it's like you guys. We all have like vocals sent in. Yeah, vocals going record sent them in, and like I've been having problems like really getting a good vocal that I like. Yeah, I didn't realize I'm this picky about vocals. So I'm I'm going back to old school. I'm like, yo, just you got to meet me in the studio. I think it's gotta, um, we got. I think it's also like adds to the creative process, right? Is where you're yeah. not kind of like trying to write a record over a vocal. You're trying to like actually make us grow the whole process from from start exactly exactly and and a lot of times you know when people write songs or try to give songs to me they'll go listen to another song i have yeah and try to make something similar Mm. and like it's like that's kind of it's kind of the wrong approach it's counterintuitive isn't it because it's like yeah you don't want to put out another record the same sounding exactly exactly you can do the mk thing to any vocal you want really so it's just you just yeah. need to have a good have a good record yeah i also think nowadays as well like the way dance music so commercialized which is a great thing for all of us because it means that we can get paid but i think yeah. that yeah. it means that music's a lot more throwaway so you have a lot more people just trying to write hits yeah. rather than good songs yeah yeah, yeah. it's funny because I, I get Lately, I've been getting either or. I'll get like a really good melody, but the lyrics are just like, I'm like, come on, really? You're going to say that? Like, or the opposite. I'll get like really good lyrics and just yeah. the melody's just not there. I'm like, ah. Uh. So it's, I was just trying to find the two. It's kind of hard when you're in, when you're doing stuff remotely as well, or you're just getting sent stuff to like go back into the sessions and kind of go back to writing with somebody. It's kind of, it's just long really yeah and probably by that time that you get somebody in the studio somebody else has the record and they've done something with it so it's kind of just like the last time i went in the studio was i was in london not long ago with aluna aluna george oh really she's amazing dude like went in studio with her and it's like she her lyrics is freaking dope and her melodies are dope yeah so she's she's the one like that has it like she has it locked in she definitely has it locked in. what was the disclosure record she did you and me White, white, white noise white noise dude that record yeah. i was yeah. i've been listening to that album quite a lot recently and yeah jesus christ it was a good one yeah i mean i love those guys yeah special they're special they're definitely my top five yeah yeah oh yeah for sure did you check out the new one of zed uh yeah i did yeah 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 i played a couple times my sets yeah it reminded me yeah. of like old disclosure i was like this mm-hmm. is this is it sounds terrible coming from us to say this, but it's like, it's exactly what I wanted from them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. But I hear that a lot. I think that's just being a fan. That's what I wanted. Yeah. 
yeah. just give me the piano that's all i want yeah oh dude oh dude <laughs> i i hate that i that does it i guess the thing is is there's a blessing and a curse with having your own sound right but the, the bad part is the only reason i use piano is because i initially when i work on songs when someone sends me vocals i start with piano yeah because it's easiest to hear all the melodies without hearing like some crazy synth sound that kind of blurries what's really going on yeah. so piano i can hear the exact melodies mm. and i end up like laying chords and then i'm like ah oh, i can't find anything and finally that sounds better than that then <laughs> yeah yeah at that point so like, yeah. i keep getting stuck so i need to figure something else out it's a different format i don't know Whatever. i want to i want to talk about your history more so okay because i think okay. i think a lot of people nowadays know you as who you are now but there's so much more that a lot of people don't know about. Yeah. So yeah, I, yeah, for sure. I, I had Stacey Pullen in the studio <laughs> the other day and um, mm-hmm. he kind of mentioned you when you were in Detroit. Right. And I kind of want to go back to then um, mm-hmm. and, and go through all of it. I think it would be a really interesting kind of history lesson for everybody, really. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. So where did it start? Oh, yeah, I do too. I'll go back to the very beginning where yeah. it's, it started where, you know, I was at that, that 14, yeah. 15, just, just getting into, into keyboard synthesizers mm. and decided that I wanted to start making music. Yeah. And I was, I was into like the, the, the alternative scene, the Depeche Mode, Soft Cell, mm. Skinny Puppy, like all that shit. And, and all those groups used, they were hev- heavily relied on synthesizers and drum yeah. machines. And that was like, that was my shit, you know? Um, and so I started to learn to produce using that, mm-hmm. but also learn during learning how to produce. I also learned how to w- record with real instruments too, with yeah. guitars that friends that play guitars, that friends that play drums. I had a band actually in high school. I forgot I had a band. What was it called? I was a keyboard player, a portrait of radical people. <laughs> <laughs> Please bring that back. Please bring it back. <laughs> yeah. I was a keyboard player. My friend Miles was a keyboard player, and my other friend Kelsey was a drummer and vocalist. Okay, and we made songs and did that for a few years. So during those few years, like I really got good at producing. Not extremely good, just basically good. You know, knew yeah. how to. You can put me in the studio by myself, and I can come out with a song. Yeah. Um, and back then there was no laptops yeah yeah. you know there was no so it was straight up midi gear wiring and, and what were recording you se- and what were you sequencing on a yamaha qx7 okay um it was like a hundred dollars sequencer but it was like it was pretty dope though yeah um at some point um i met uh terrence parker okay lou robinson yeah and we met through a mutual friend and they, they saw that I'd made music mm. and they made music too. They were DJs and, and you know, were into like dance music. I wasn't into dance music yet. Yeah. But they knew I, they saw that I knew how to make, make, make music. So what were you, what in the band, what were you making? What type of music? Like alternative. Yeah. Um, electronic sounding, you know, pop kind of vibe, not even pop. It was, okay. it was alternative. Okay. More the, the Pesh mode ish, yeah. I guess. What well, wasn't radio at all, actually. <laughs> um, the exact opposite. So anyway, um, 
Terrence and Lou were like, yo, let's make a, a house song together. Yeah. Um, I wasn't too familiar with it at the time. So they played me a couple of things and I'm like, okay, that's, that's easy. <laughs> you know, I'm like the drum beat is like just four on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Open high had to clap. Yeah. Sterile. And we just kind of went from there and I, I did the track with them. Ended up putting it out through a, a, a label called Byright. I know the record store was Byright, but the guy's name was Cliff. Was and it still in Detroit? The, still Detroit. Yeah. And what was the it record was, called? The, the record was called First Base. Okay. And the group was called Separate Minds. Okay. And it was all three of us. And it was like a four track EP. Yeah. And the song First Base ended up kind of taken off in like a, a techno world. Okay. And and Kevin Saunderson heard it. Mm. And I, I didn't know Kevin at the time. I knew who he was because of Inner City. Yeah. Because I think Big Light or Big Fun was popping at the time. And so Kevin licensed the song for his is a, a compilation album. Yeah. So it was, I think it was Detroit Techno mm-hmm. was, was the comp- was the album, and First Base was on it. <clears throat> and then from that point, I started getting into that type of music more. I'm like, oh, this is actually kind of dope. Yeah. And 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 Juan Atkins was was doing really well with, with Cybertron all that kind of stuff he was like the king of detroit mm-hmm. you know during that during that era Stennis. jeff mills was like jeff mills like you know on on the radio and everyone knew everyone in detroit knew who jeff mills was yeah and then shay damier mm-hmm. called me he was kevin's a and r mm-hmm. at kms records so he called me he's like hey you know come in um kevin wants to meet you so I'm like, I think I was probably 17 at the time, 17, 18. So I go in and talk to Kevin and Kevin's just like, Hey, you know, like, I like, I like what you do. Let's, let's do something. You know, let's, let's put music out, whatever. And, and, and I wasn't in it for the money. Yeah. Didn't care about the money. I just wanted to make music. And so I started doing songs with him. And I did my first, my first 12 inch with Kevin. Um, was a track was called somebody new. Mm-hmm. And on the other side was a song called The Rains. Was that under that MK? Was it was either MK or Mark Kinchin. Okay. It might have been MK. And, and the reason I use MK is just because I never cared about names. Yeah. Like artist names. I'm like, you know, I don't spend three hours like, let me get the perfect name for my, you know, song. I just call it what, you know, what, what I sample. Okay, call it that. Yeah. And I use MK. That's my initials. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and from there, I, I would go to Kevin's studio like on the weekends. And just stay there. And Kevin would just give me a key and just like, hey, do your thing. And then I did, I made a song. I mean, that's when I made Burning. Yeah. I made Burning in Kevin's studio. And the thing is, is I was trying to be different because Derek May was around. Juan Ackham was around. Eddie Folks was around. Carl Craig was around. Kevin was around, of course. And then Kevin was doing inner city stuff. Derek was doing his stuff and and everyone kind of had the same not formula so I looked I, I looked for a piece of gear in Kevin's studio where it wasn't a techno sound mm. and that's when I found the vibe sound for burning yeah. I'm like this sounds cool because it just sounds dry it sounds a little bit cheesy yeah um it, it's you know and so I just played those chords and I'm like this is I like this and I put a drum beat to it and spent like I probably spent six months trying to get it written to. Oh, really? Yeah. And then 
I was, uh, I met Elena Simon mm. through a mutual friend. And she was like, I sing. And I'm like, all right, cool. Like, let's go in the studio. And I just played it. And she just kind of wrote that. It wasn't like she wasn't sitting down for hours writing. She just kind of, Vibes. you know, burning. Yeah. Or, and like, I'm like, that's perfect. It's like not too much. It's kind of, it's dark. It's kind of, you know, a little bit, you know, and we just went for it. Wow. And then, but from there, for some reason, well, not for some reason, I'm sound like I'm arrogant, but no one liked it. <laughs> the, you know, they're all going to say, you know, Kevin, they're all going to be like, no, we didn't. No one liked it. Right. <laughs> Cause I, I sat on it for like six months and I'm like, but I love it. I think this is dope. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all that time working with Kevin, I saw how Kevin put out records independently. Yeah. I saw how they would go through a distributor, mm. go to record stores, sell the records. And I kind of copied that format. Mm. And that, but at the time I didn't have any money. Yeah. So I had a cassette of burning and I, I knew who all the distributors were. There was only like three that three main ones. Yeah. I sent three cassettes to each distributor and said, Hey, do you guys want to buy any of these? You know, this is my label. The label's called Area 10. Yeah. My song called Burning. They all called back like, oh, yeah, we like this. Can we buy a thousand copies? So each one, I don't remember the number, but each each distributor bought like a thousand copies. Mm. You know, I'm, what, 19? Yeah. I don't have any money. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I said, can you guys do like COD? Yeah. Like basically, you know, means I'll get the records pressed. They send them to you. You guys pay the COD, yeah. and that that money went to the to the pressing plant because mm-hmm. I've started having money to press a thousand copies. Yeah, yeah. So the, the distributors in the pressing plant worked hand in hand, and they yeah. got so they all got their money. And I sold each vinyl for two dollars and thirty cents. Bargain. The vinyl cost the vinyl cost one dollar to make. Yeah. So I made I made a profit of a dollar thirty. You know. Yeah. So I did that, and then. Long story short, on that song, it ended up selling twenty thousand copies because it kept Jeez. they kept coming back every weekend. Because you know back then it's like DJs they go vinyl shopping on Friday, yeah. They play on they play on the weekend, then they come back to the shop Monday like, yo, that track I need that. Uh, people walk in like yeah, I need yeah, that yeah. song burning, yeah. And so the servers will call and order more. So that that was a cycle that went on for like about a year. And from then, that's when kind of stuff stuff started kind of picking up after that. Where did the whole Area Ten come from? I worked in a parking lot at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit. Wow. I worked on the weekend. I worked in the weekends and each lot had a name. Yeah. My lot was called Area 10. So I just took it. Like again, I I didn't I don't spend hours thinking of names. I just thought like that's a cool name. I'll use it. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, just kind of ran with it. And then after burning, you weren't DJing at all then? Not at all. You you weren't interested in it at all? It's weird because I had decks, I had vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Saunderson had decks set up in his studio. Like when I went to the studio before, I would just hang out there and just play and just play vinyl. Yeah, just fucking around. Yeah, but it, I'd be playing vinyl for fifteen minutes and then I'd have the itch to go make a track. Mm. The vinyl, the vinyl couldn't keep me away from the studio. Yeah, it just made me want to go make music, and that's that's where my passion was. So I didn't, I didn't try to pursue DJing. Yeah. I was happy with just making music. And back then was you could make money making music, right? I mean, 
doing it independently and you know i was didn't have a lot of expenses yeah so you know if you're making and, and i was still paper chasing i guess i'm thinking mm. um what did i get then the, kevin sonson hired me for a few remixes okay. i did a remix i did one for him no one knows the story but i did um he was having me do a remix for reese project yeah one of his other groups he had um i started the remix and i'm like oh this is really dope mm. and kevin wasn't in the studio at the time he, he was like somewhere but i was in his studio working on the remix he didn't even know i was working on it that particular day i ended up keeping the song and that song is called for you okay. that's fourth measurement yeah yeah for you and that that was actually a reese project remix is that little sample for you oh, really? that's from rachel the vocalist from reese project wow yeah. so i'm keeping that and doing another remix for him but you know kevin would pay me like you know whatever the going rate was at a time, I don't know, a thousand bucks or something yeah, like that, yeah. which is fine. And then ended up moving to New York. And that's when I met, you know, Marcy, yeah. and she started managing me. And then that's when remixes started coming in heavy. And then that big one was push the feeling on that came in. Yeah. Um, so did that come out as an MK remix? Yeah. 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 It, it was like the, the original song, we, I can finally talk about this because I've been wanting to talk about this song forever. <laughs> the original is a, is an R and B song. Yeah, because at the time, brand new heavies were in. Mm-hmm. That was you know that was like a big group, and and Nightcrawlers they they were like a brand new heavy brand new heavies type of group. Okay. And I think it was Darkest at Island. Um, I forgot who hired me for that remix. Um, I got hired to do the remix. Yeah, did the remix. Um. They didn't like it. Mm-hmm. They came back and said, uh, it's not right. And I was, I got like five grand for that mix. I was like, five grand? They got five grand for it. That's the most, like, I'm like, five grand for it. That's, a lot That's of crazy. Money. Especially then. A lot of money. Yeah, yeah. And Marcy calls me. She's like, oh, they don't like the remix. I'm like, I have to go to Detroit. I have a flight tonight. I can't, <laughs> nothing I can do now. And she's like, well, if you want to get paid, you kind of have to do something. And so that's when I did the the Double Doom remix. Yeah, and I was like, <clears throat> I had one, I had two. I, I was using JBL speakers. One was blown. <laughs> true, true story. One was blown. I was sitting on the floor. I had I had my mixer, one speaker. I had my Yamaha TX81Z. I had my Akai S1100 sampler. My R, my Roland R8 drum machine. Mm. Um, I think. I don't think I had a 909 then and maybe a Juno 106. And I just, everything. So I started working on the remix and I was in such a hurry. Usually I spend a lot of time on my bass lines, on my, on my yeah. lead lines, my samples, everything was one take, mm-hmm. you know, like, like, Oh yeah, I like that. Cool. Record it. Yeah. I like that. Record it. <laughs> Did it. True story, dude. Like knock the mix out maybe in an hour. Yeah. And recorded on that. Um, I think here's the part that's crazy. Back then, I would just do a, a remix for like ten minutes, yeah, like a ten minute long edit, and then edit, then edit it later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On two on two inch tape or whatever. So I <clears throat> I did the mix. Maybe not. Maybe I didn't do that one for that song. Whatever happened, I turned the mix in. Mm-hmm. Had a messenger come pick it up. Went to the airport. W- went back to New York two weeks later and listened to the mix. And I was like, this is 
fire. <laughs> like, I'm like, this is fucking sick. And I, I, ca- I called my brother, Scott Kinchin, Scotty Deep. I called him. I'm like, listen to this. He's like, what the fuck is that? I'm like, dude, it's a remix I did like two weeks ago. He's like, that's bananas. I'm like, I know. And then from that point, it just kind of took off. Yeah. <clears throat> the crazy part is I didn't DJ back then. Mm. So I never really, never really knew yeah. what it was doing. Only kind of from what my friends would tell me or if I was in New York at a club and, hear, and heard it. Yeah. But I didn't go, I didn't go out that much either. So I didn't really know what it was doing, but I knew it was doing well. You know, I found out how, how well it's done it like years later, obviously. Yeah. So that was the one. And, and the weird part, the reason I said this story is crazy is because the original version was an R&B song. Yeah. My version, which I didn't even use any of the original. I'd use some of, some of John's vocals. But because it was a remix, so, some people don't know this, but unless you ask for it, you don't own any of it. Yeah. You don't own any publishing. The original writers own it. So anytime, you know, you hear that Nightcrawler sample, or anything from it, I don't get paid from it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's sold millions and millions of copies. Millions of copies. Did that come out as, uh, did they eventually release it as a single yeah they, they 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 buried the original version yeah you that's what i was saying yeah version. i didn't i've never even heard of the original yeah i mean it's it's you have to kind of dig if you dig hard enough you can find on youtube maybe yeah but they buried it you can't even you can't get it at all wow so yeah Do you, i take it you don't speak to them anymore no i mean it's, it's, i still speak to john reed a little bit yeah um but it's all it's all weird because it's four members in the four members of the group, yeah. and for me to get any type of publishing, um, they have to all agree to it. All agree, yeah, all agree. But the weird thing is, like you know, there was never any contract signed, and it's like, what's the rule on on that really? Mm. You know, because I am the writer on it, but you know, no one's. It's just it's so unclear. There's always so many different rules and laws and stuff, and you're just like. I think that's the thing with clearing samples and everything like that as well. And just generally music is like, well, it wasn't, who, who was it? Wasn't it Pharrell and Robert Thicke? Yeah. Yeah. But blur lines. Yeah. Yeah. They got sued millions for like the feel of, of like a Marvin Gaye record. It wasn't, it it wasn't even the cause. It was a lot of money. It was like, it was a lot of money. Yeah. I I think it was like tens of millions. Yeah. I want to say 20 million. Yeah. Could be wrong, but I want to say it was it was a lot. It was a ridiculous amount. And then let me just finish this night cross and we can go on to something else. But years later, um, Pitbull samples it for a song hotel room. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't doing house music at the time. I was kind of just, you know, just producing, trying to, you know, make my way in the industry again. Yeah. And my brother calls me, Scott. He's like, why don't you call Pitbull? Like, obviously he likes your shit. Yeah. You know, call him and maybe just see if you can do some tracks with him. Called him, got in touch with his people. Um, hey, Pitbull, MK wants to work with you. He was like, hell no. Right? So I'm like, but I, this Pitbull or this guy Buddha who worked with Pip was basically like, well, why? Yeah. He said, because he charged me 90% to use that sample for a hotel room. And then they told Pitbull, like, no, no, MK doesn't own any of that. 
he didn't he he basically got fucked on it too Damn. like he gets no part of that and so pitbull was like bring him in and so pitbull from that point like took me under his wing like he fucking helped me out jesus he's like yo yeah he was, he was like mk i got you just you know come I, work with me i knew i knew pitbull sampled it but i didn't know yeah. they they did him over like that as well yeah yeah <laughs> crazy like you know and then also now that record's kind of come back yeah like with the, with the, with the friday thing yeah yeah and you don't get any of that as well. Well, it's it's weird because uh, Mustafa, the, the guy who yeah. danced in the car, we we spoke after that happened. We're like, oh, this is crazy, and we actually said we said we said let's remake it. Yeah, that it was my idea basically. Yeah, so we're like, yeah, let's cool, let's do it. And I had them go in the studio and re-record the um, what day is it? You know, that whole talking yeah, part. Yeah, yeah. So they went in the studio, I think it was DC to record it. And at some point, um, it got just, I don't know if Ministry Sounds went after him to to do it mm. instead. Um, and then Nightcrawls got involved. The, the four guys got involved. And then Ministry wanted me to produce it. Yeah. I think before Retine. Um, something like that. I don't, I don't know exactly what I, but it was it was between all of us getting ready to work on it. Something like, cool, I can finally get publishing from it. Like, I can finally get a percentage. <laughs> and they still said no. Oh my god! So did you? I'm like, I, did you end up doing nothing. it? So I'm like, no, I didn't do it. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna fuck myself again. No, like, I'm just not gonna do it. It's like, you know, that's so. wild, man. Because I yeah. knew, I knew there was, there was history behind it all. Um, yeah. but we haven't spoke about that before. I didn't, motherfuckers. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like you know. I'm like, you know. Well, and I think it's also it's at the end of the day, it's more so just principle in the grand scheme of it. That's it's what like, everyone. Yeah, it's like, you know, it, it, it's just, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, it's like there's no need to just. And I and even when I did, I wasn't even asking. For, I, was, I think I was asking for twenty percent. Mm. If I if I produced a new one, yeah. And if it's four of them. I'm like, that's only five percent of each of your guys' share. Yeah, and it's paid for their life, for their whole lives. They've not done anything yeah. since. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that song's made enough money too, where you know. Yeah, damn, dude. Good job you got some other hits. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Wanna... I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm dying right now. <laughs> um, I want to go back. So, when did always happen? Always happened right after burning. And was that in um, Detroit? Yeah, Detroit the same way. But the thing was always was weird is, is I know I wanted to use Elena. Mm. Um, I made the track and I actually wrote the lyrics. I wrote I wrote the whole song yeah. always. I mean, she came in with the with the always hook part, and, but we just basically got that from from um, Stevie Wonder. Mm. So yeah, that was just what we did, and we just. And back then, it's like I never really put too much thought into yeah. what I'm putting out because it was just me as an artist. It's yeah, just, you know, if this is what I if this is what I make, what I made, generally because I wanted to make it, I'm putting it out. You know, nowadays, you know, there's so many zillions of people that have to listen to it. Yeah, be like yeah, we love it, love it. But back then, it was like 
I made it, like it, put it out. Just a vibe. Just a vibe, yeah. Just a vibe. So we go from Pitbull, working with Pitbull. How was that? It was fun. It was fun, but it's still, you know, it's working in that pop world. Yeah. There's so many people involved. Mm. Um, and, and plus with Pitt, Pitt always knew what he wanted. So he, he would have a lot of input. Yeah. Then, you know, the label would have input. Um, like one example is I did the opening song for Men in Black 3, Pitbull. Yeah. And it, I, I think I went through like maybe 30 versions from down to like the, the, the film director having comments. Yeah. Um, the, the head of Sony having a comment, mm. you know, I'm like, why do I have comments? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's just the intro for some of the movie, like, so, and I, I don't like that no. basically. It's like this, that's not, well, it's not funny anymore. Well, it, it tells like, it, you, you have, you, you have a baby, right. And then it's, everyone wants a piece of it and everyone wants yeah. to kind of say, and I think a lot of the time with A&Rs and labels and managers and yeah. agents and all of that yeah. it, it comes to the point where it's not actually they don't actually know what they're saying they just want to say something yeah yeah that's what i'm saying they, they're saying something because they, they feel like they have to say something yeah play you a song okay um yeah all right change that though yeah <laughs> all right <laughs> yeah turn this one down turn this one up and you don't do anything yeah. and send it back and yeah there'll be jokes you know i remember being in the studio with producers and we have jokes like when the era comes in saying hey turn that hi-hat up and you're like how's that how's that and it's not even a hi-hat track <laughs> oh yeah that's good yeah it's a lot better but yeah i thought so i <laughs> it's the best that isn't it the there's, there's, a, there's a lot of that going on it just that wasn't fun and that's yeah. why you know getting back into house music this way is like a lot better what went from i have a lot more go on no i just said i have a lot more control now like yeah. i don't really have to deal with as much yeah. at all um, from Pitbull, where do we go then? Because I know there's still a lot in between before you get to where you're at. Um, after Pitbull was, that's when I met um, Jamie Jones and Lee Foss. Mm. And during that time, it was like 2012, 11. Yeah. And that's when like just the whole Detroit sound was, was coming back in heavy. Yeah. The deep house, just the slower house stuff. And they were playing a lot of my music. Mm. And they never really knew that I didn't DJ at the time. Yeah. <laughs> but they asked me to DJ at their party. Okay. Was this in, was like, in, oh. in Ibiza? No, this was in Miami. Okay. And I was like, man, I'm going to go for it. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's just do it. Like, I mean, I'll just end up playing a lot of my songs anyway. I know how my songs start, finish. So how hard could it be? Yeah. And I went from there, but I played a lot of my own stuff. Where it was actually, you know, it's very easy to, as you would know, to, to play your own songs. Yeah, yeah. Because you know, you can you can just hear that you you know if you're not doing something right because you know both songs. So yeah, it was doing that, and then Simon Dunmore reached out at the same time, and Simon Dunmore wanted to do something with Burning with my back catalog. Yeah, which is kind of perfect timing. And then from that, Simon, you know, ended up putting me on a lot of shows, mm. affected shows. I was never signed to defect it, but he would just, he made sure that, you know, I got the exposure. Yeah. And from that point within there, that's when I did Storm Queen look right through. Mm. Cause he asked me to do a remix for him. And I, you know, ended up doing that one and that one did really well. That was, and then that, from, for me, the Storm Queen was like the point. What year was that? 2018, 
2008? 13. No, no, 13. 13. 13. That's what that's for. That number one, that's like, that's Storm Queen. I was going to say, that was the one that in the UK kind of... It went number one, yeah. It, it went mental. Yeah. It went absolutely yeah. mental. Um, yeah. and, and the good thing about that one, it was... The good thing about that remix, it was like, that was just my sound. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was like, had the organ. Mm. Didn't have piano in it, though, but had organ, had the vocal chops. And it was just... So, which kind of made it easy to kind of stay in that genre, that lane of... Because yeah. you know, sometimes you may do something and look up on a... On a on a song it's like that's, oh, that's not my sound but i yeah. just got a hit from it and and then it's hard to follow up yeah yeah totally but luckily that one was like you know right right where i sat mm. and then after that was my head jungle after that yeah my head is a jungle that was a big um, one um <clears throat> yeah that was yeah and again that was it was a big one but it was like a sleeper it, it went like number five in the charts i think yeah um, but it's weird because people, you know, I still play it, obviously. Um, yeah, it was a big one. And then from that, then the record deal. And then I, I started just DJing a lot overseas in, in England and just, you know, ended up doing really well with just shows. Yeah. Then got a record deal with Sony. And then from then put out, we just started to get the singles ready. And it was like, I never really wanted to do a record deal. Yeah. Start with that. Because I knew working with Pitbull and back then I'm like, oh, I don't have people telling me what to do again. <laughs> like, oh, I don't want to do that, man. Like, I just want to make a song and put it out. Yeah. Um, so so my first couple releases was were kind of like weren't my favorite. Um, Bring Me to Life. Um, what was after that? And that was me just kind of getting in the groove of, of working with a record company. Yeah. But I think once then once 17 happened, that's when I kind of got back into like, okay, this is I not really telling people what's going on yeah peace with peace of me and 17 with peace of me um i did and sony were like yeah it's all right i'm like no no it's it, this is dope <laughs> and i remember like taking because i would play it in shows and people would dm me and i had i had a whole folder of people like dm me like what is the song what is the song mm. and I, I had to send it get it sent to sony like this song needs to come out yeah and it finally came out um and then same thing with 17. Like I did 17, played it for like six months and no one at the label was like jumping up and down, but I saw the reaction when I played it and they weren't there. So I'm like, oh, this is it. I'm telling you guys. It's, like, it's the best thing about being able to DJ, right? Is that you can, oh yeah, you can oh test yeah. your music out and you know that yeah. like, I don't know. I'm sure you've had this. I have this multiple times where you write a record in the studio and you're like, this is a, banger like this is amazing yeah, and yeah. then you go play it yeah. out and it doesn't hit and like yeah, no one yeah. gives a fuck about it and you're like yeah what <laughs> like i'm yeah. so wrong and then you make something and you're like okay this is all right i'll play it and you play it out and it slams and you're like yeah i was yeah. not expecting that but you know what i've noticed most of the time when that happens because I've, I've thought about that exact thing the same yeah. i go back and it's usually it's usually the mix yeah okay it's usually it's usually the levels or just something not sitting right um or the way you played it, it just—it's it's usually something like that. Yeah, because because uh, usually in your gut feeling, you know you have something. Yeah, you know you, know you have it. Yeah, or or sometimes when you have the right vocal or something, and you just have to just go in and rewrite the record again because yeah. it's just not fitting right 
with yeah. the vocal or something like that. That's that happens so many times to me, and I'm like, this vocal's so good, but I just haven't got the music right. I know I'm I'm the opposite because if that happens to me, it's like I'm done with it. Yeah, I'm like I won't touch it again. I'm like, oh, didn't work. I'm not gonna even try. Oh, really? Can you not it. go back? Yeah. Mm-mm. Nope. Just bin nope. it. Bin it off. Yeah, just bin it. <laughs> I um. Bin it. I. Do you ever ask people for for like help on that? Oh, um, only only engineers. Yeah. I don't really ask engineers. I would. I don't really ask other producers. Um, I may ask other musicians. Yeah. I may say, hey, listen, like, I, I, the chord, my chords just aren't right. Yeah. Can you help me out with some chords here? Yeah. Um, that's about it. Yeah, so. it's it's definitely for me like. I've got my I've just finished my last single of the year um and I just sent it to a to a mate and there was just like a few tweaks that just made it so yeah. much better on the top. and you're yeah. just like wow that was that was good um yeah yeah so when cuz you you kind of got you got really big in the UK and Europe um right mid 2000s and then when we were under the same management we kind of you that was when you kind of started to come back to america and started touring america yeah yeah how from back when you started writing music to now how different is the scene compared to oh it's night and day it's like i mean for back in you know when i started doing house music back then it was it was gay yeah. and black. That was that was a scene. Like the clubs were like gay, black, Hispanic. Not many white people. Yeah. Unless, you know, New York New York, because New York has all the cool white people. <laughs> so but <laughs> for the most part, it was just gay and black. Yeah. And and the funny thing about that is I'm jumping stories for a second. But when I moved to New York, I stopped doing house music to do R and B and hip hop. Mm. And I didn't even tell people that I used to do house music, even though I had night crawls under my belt, even though yeah. I had burning under my belt, I did not mention that because I knew like, I did, didn't get respected in the industry. Would they not think, at all. Would they, they like, think uh, you're gay? Um, no, I don't think I'm gay. They just think like, it's not cool. Yeah. Like that music is like, it doesn't, it's just, it's such a small mark compared yeah. to R&B and hip hop. Mm. Like, you know, we don't care about making, you know, you know, selling 20,000 records. Yeah. You know, we want a million. We want to sell, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah a minimum of a million yeah so just they just it was just not respect you just you could not get anywhere with that on your on your resume yeah yeah now it's completely different which i'm really glad it's completely different um and i you know i love hip-hop and r&b but it's like it's finally switched and it's like i don't feel sorry for for people in 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 that other world yeah because i've been there and it's like dude it's like i've had to live with it for you know 15 years mm. of, of house music and not being shit. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So sorry. <laughs> what? Sorry. Why, why the move to New York to do hip hop and R and B? What was that about? Well, I moved to New York to do house music. Yeah. Um, because I just, you know, at the time Detroit just started getting like, that's when it was getting like heavy techno. Yeah. Underground resistance stepped in, they were doing their thing. And just my sound was like, mm, this isn't fitting in. Yeah. Yeah like everything else it's like you know i like vocals i like you know a little bit cooler shit like 
vibey, you know, deep house type vibes. And New York and Chicago had that. Yeah. So especially New York and and like, you know, Mass that work with my favorite producers. Yeah. And they that and that that sound was exactly what I wanted to do. Mm. I'm like, I'm out. <laughs> Go <to> New York. <laughs> I'm gonna get some of that vibe. So. And then you just decided to go into hip hop and R&B. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, it started. It started to get boring. Yeah, because you know, with with my manager, it was like the remixes requests were coming in heavy. Yeah, and it started. It started to get like a machine, mm-hmm. and the creative, the fun part about it started to start to go away. Yeah. Um, the money was good, but I'm like, yeah, this isn't fun, and, and I'm like, mm-hmm. and knowing at the time. You know, I didn't know how long I'd be in the industry. I didn't yeah. think I'd be in the industry this long. So I'm like, I'm getting remixes. I'm getting fees for remixes, you know, 10, 15 grand a remix. But, you know, I'll spend that in, in, within that year. Yeah. You know, so what am I going to do when I'm 30? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't think I'm going to be remixed when I'm 30. That's what I actually thought. So I, I'm, I said, you know, I've always been kind of writing songs and, and writing hip hop and R&B on the low. Mm. I'm like, let me just do that. Because that way, at least I can write a song. And, and possibly, you know, have royalties coming in and have stuff that comes in when I'm older. So I, I quit doing house music. And on top of that, everyone wanted something sound like, every, everyone wanted a remix to sound like Nightcrawler. Yeah. Because that was my best remix. So I'm like, this is really not not it. And so I stopped. Mm. Were you were you writing originals at that time as well? Or were you just like strictly yeah. remix? Oh, uh, what, for R&B? No, or? like when you were doing, how, when you are doing remixes, because... I was still doing both. I was still have my MK deal. Yeah. Um, but the remixes came in so often. often like yeah. I was doing like, God, how many? I I feel like I was doing like at least ten remixes a month. Damn. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Yeah. Um, but it was like I said, it was quick money. There'd be no royalties, so I'm like, let me not be stupid here. Mm. And it's not like I put money away to save, you know, twenty five. I'm just like, you know, blowing yeah. it, yeah. buying equipment. Yeah. And so then I started to do R and B and hip hop, and then that whole industry is totally different mm. from any, any other industry because, you know, you're dealing with like a little bit of crookedness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, a little bit of uh, hey, I can get you on this on this on this album, but you know, you got to give me half your fee. Yeah. Or, or you got to give my boy some of your publishing. Yeah. And, you know, it was like a lot of that. And I'm like, oh, man, this is whack, too. <laughs> yeah, this is, you know, or or you're chasing the project. And then at one point, I worked with Quincy Jones. I was signed to the publishing company. And, you know, a guy named Jay Brown managed me at the time. And Jay Brown, who's like Jay-Z's best friend right now yeah. and partner in business, um, I was in the studio with everyone, mm. R&B artists. Like, I was doing songs with everybody. Yeah. Um, and it was before the internet, it was before Napster, right? Yeah. So the music industry was still, you Amen. know, just raining in money. Yeah. So I remember I one year I made 300 grand in fees from songs that never made the album. Oh, wow. That's how, that's how much money was just being thrown around. Yeah. So I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> like I saw, I have all these songs that are ready to be sold. I made a lot of money. And then 2000, Napster just kind of just killed the industry. Yeah. Just like that. And labels weren't spending money anymore like that. So now it's like, hey, if you want to, you know, get a song on, on Destiny's Child album, submit a song. If we use it, you'll get paid. Yeah. 
But before that, you would get paid before you even, you know, really do anything with it. Yeah. And so now it's like all these producers are like, damn, we're like chasing, we're chasing it now. We're really chasing the check. Yeah. So it was a rat race. Yeah. But every producer that I knew, it was a rat race Mm. to get a placement. And then, you know, that kind of takes a soul out of it as well, doesn't it? Because you just everyone takes all of it. Everyone's fighting. But then the, but everyone's still, you know, you have to compete with Timberland, Pharrell, yeah. all those guys, because they were getting placements easily. Yeah, yeah. And they were getting 150 grand a track. Yeah. All day long. It, it's, me- so, it's mental how how different, and it still is now, how hip-hop yeah. and R&B is on compared to dance music. Because, like, it, yeah. even, in, even in dance music, you get occasionally, you get one record that, like, gets licensed for, like, 150 grand, 170 grand. Whatever. Right. Like, we all know right. those. Right. But, and the only reason yeah. why we know those is because everyone's like, how the fuck did they get that? Yeah. And the whole yeah. industry yeah. talks about it. Um, yeah. But that happens twice a year. One song a year. Yeah. yeah. One or two songs a year. Yeah. And no one knows what it's going to be. It's literally just a luck of the draw, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Absolutely. in hip hop, hip hop is every fucking week. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So, so I was doing that. And then I got to the point where, you know, I moved to LA and that's when I met Will Smith. Mm. And because I was going, a period of my life i was making songs having writers come to my studio you know like we're trying to make a song for usher yeah got a session two-day session no it's not right spend a, a month on a song right we're gonna get this usher get the usher he doesn't take it yeah so you just spend a month for nothing. nothing yeah but then every once in a while you get a song that gets placed you make enough money that so you you work for six months, no placements, but then you finally get that placement at the last yeah. month. Covers all the bills that you've been late for. Yeah. <laughs> and there was a lot of that. That shit is whack too. You're like, mm. okay, this is not this is terrible. <laughs> then I then I moved to to LA and I, I knew Will and Omar and they brought me in as an in-house producer. Yeah. And, and kind of just to do the same thing I was doing but also makes songs, whatever Will's working on, whatever Will may need for a TV show, movie, whatever. I'd be there to work on that. Mm. And I got, I got a fee. So I was still taken care of without really worrying about. Yeah. Yeah. Know, what's good. You know, so I was cool money wise. The problem was, is nothing was coming out. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, now I'm, this is, I'm back in here again. I'm like, I'm okay financially. Yeah. But I'm, there's no money. There's no songs coming in that's going to bring me royalties. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm going to be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, I started I started working with a writer named Diane Warren. Um, same thing. Um, I ended up doing, like, a couple songs on Ariana Grande. Like, oh, really? I think four or five songs that never made the album. But, I, you know, she came in. We recorded them together. Yeah. Um, but then she changed directions on her album. So that was, like, almost... A, eight months of my time that just Jeez. got wasted and so right right after then that's when pitbull sampled pushing me pushing yeah. me on for hotel room and so i got in there with pit and then pitbull made sure i was financially okay and i was doing songs that were coming out with pitbull at least. yeah and that's so then we get to jamie and simon dunmore mm. and i started then i got into my own mk thing and then the rest is kind of history yeah mate you've had a fucking interesting life Oh yeah, yeah. I could definitely write a book. <laughs> you should definitely write a book. I could, I could definitely write a book. Yeah. 
yeah. Is that something you'd want to do? Yeah. Because each 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 thing I talked about, there's obviously a deeper story to oh, it. Of course. Like and a more there's a it's very interesting. Like imagine it's very interesting. Just I can imagine just the Will Smith in house producer stories. Right. Like yeah. there's yeah, a there's, lot there's, of stories. Yeah. Yeah, stories with that. And then I ended up working I did um um Jaden, his sons. Yeah. His first his first uh mixtape, I did like four, a couple songs on that. Yeah. I did a song with his daughter Willow and Nicki Minaj. Mm. Um, I worked with his other son Trey. Yeah, because Will Will wanted me to just help him like get into producing and DJing. Yeah. So I worked. I worked with all the kids. I worked with Jada too, his wife. Did some of her. So you know, there's a whole chapter in there. Yeah, that's wild, man. When so, yeah, were you still doing hip hop and R and B when when Jamie and Lee hit you up, or was had you kind of no. been that off? I'm like. <laughs> The way just got rid of my you know on my hard drive with the, the hip-hop sound like nah, i go over there i'm done like <laughs> i'm done let's get my house kit back <laughs> yeah let's get the 909 yeah. and anyway out is um yeah 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 did it how how was that financially though because which one from will? no from from the transition between will to jamie joan to when when you start djing really because well also like, my overhead was so low yeah you know it's like i was married had had kids live in the condo in la mm. our, our rent was like you know fifteen hundred dollars a month okay so you know my overhead was just crazy low so yeah when i got when i got did a show and got paid fifteen hundred dollars to dj i'm like this is right. crazy yeah, yeah let's go yeah yeah <laughs> you know i'm like you do four of those a month like that's that's a decent salary yeah yeah it is, it so is. I, yeah. So I, I was, I was good, and then you know, it just kind of grew from there. But and then you know, it was just easier on my mind. It was like mm. you know, you can finally just breathe, and like you know, I knew I was kind of controlling my own destiny at that point. Yeah, you know, I'm DJing now, and I, I always knew from even back in the '90s, if I DJed and made music, that they would be a lot better. Yeah, because I can, I can make a song, test it out, mm. or I would just be in clubs all the day, all, all the time. And know what people really like. Yeah. Instead of sitting in my bedroom and guessing and just hearing mix shows on the radio, because that's yeah. what I did back then. Just kind of like, you know, guessing. Winging it, yeah. But I always I always, I always knew DJing would help my my music. It's, and that's it's what it does. It has. It, oh, massively. And it's still the case now where it's, you still kind of have to, you make more money DJing than you do with music. Yeah, um, right, right. Which it has been for years, but it's it's definitely the case. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. When when was it for you when you started DJing? When you were like, "Damn, I'm I'm pretty big. I'm I'm doing all right." Weirdly, right away. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean to sound like you know, shit those things, but it, it happened right away. Yeah. Because of what I did in the nineties. Yeah. And because you know, most of the things I played, people knew yeah. almost every song I played that was mine. And it was like, you know, my third show DJ. Yeah. And, and, and those shows kind of sold out pretty much right away. Wow. So when, when, when Dunmore started putting me on shows, they did really, really well yeah. straight out the gate. Like so I, I never really experienced playing to like a half full club or, you know, not even in my yeah. early career. Jesus. 
Yeah. There's not many people that can say that. Yeah. Yeah. At all. Yeah. It's pretty so, amazing. Yeah. It's, when, it's, so it's just been like. But you must have, hmm? you must have kind of experienced, I don't think I've spoke to you about this before, but there's your, your crowd because of your music now is a younger crowd, which is really kind right. of important in, in this industry because. If, yeah. It's weird. It's like, <laughs> it's like, I'm like, how did it just stays the same? Yeah. I'm like, how is it only 18 year old? That's so. <laughs> every year <laughs> yeah they don't get older but, <laughs> but it's i think yeah, it's, i think that's the kind of a special thing about playing about your music is that it just keeps the, the crowd so young but when you right. first started djing again the crowd must have been old yeah it was it was actually it was it was it was older um but because it was like it was definitely a cooler scene back yeah. then um especially with jamie and, and lee yeah so there was definitely a cool crowd so you, you had the older people but the you, you still had the, the 20 year olds but that was like you know there's that group of cool 20 year olds yeah yeah, yeah. That, in every pocket every city are. yeah 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 just just with any type of music there's like that you know the cool whether it's hip-hop or you know there's there's that cool 20 year old crowd and so that crowd was there yeah because, yeah the, you know they're kind of the crate diggers aren't they that yeah, yeah. That, that don't DJ yeah. or don't do anything. They just love love listening. Yeah. Um, yeah. The um, crazy thing with your fans is that they are literally just there to see you, and yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's absolutely mental. I've like never experienced it playing any other show, and yeah. this is all kind of hands up to you, really, on on kind of what you've done. Is that Right. You can play an MK show and no one give a fuck who you are until MK comes on. And yeah, then- <laughs> I've seen I've been, no, it's like it's a little weird, but yeah, I, I know you know yeah, because but, but but it's I don't think there's anybody else out there that's done that. Really? I mean I like uh, I think there is artist probably have that are like chemical brothers and stuff like that right disclosure right. and people like that right but yeah. f- for somebody that is a dj that's djing yeah. shows like n- none of those those artists that are kind of like the chems that they're all doing live stuff so right. on warm-ups it's just the dj sat at the front and everyone's just kind of coming into the stadium and it's it is yeah. when d- was it Storm Queen that that kind of that that was it? <clears throat> no, um, it wasn't. I, 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 it's weird. It's kind of in the beginning. It's like yeah. you know, I would walk through the crowd and people were like, "Can I have a picture?" I'm like, "What?" It was a, it was a lot of that from the beginning. I yeah. don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just kind of like it just you know, someone sees someone with an MK picture. I'm like, oh, I want to get one. I honestly, I don't know what it is. But I, you know, I'm not complaining. I don't want to rock the boat so i'm like <laughs> dude it's amazing it's 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 yeah. like you don't see it often at all um yeah, yeah. and i think because you're fucking tall and very recognizable <laughs> yeah i think that always help as I, well. I think that what was well, that you know what in the beginning I, in the beginning i did do this i did um would go to shows and i would hang out in the crowd before i play mm. and I, I remember a lot of people saying like no one ever does that like yeah. there's something cool like you know i'm like I would just be at the bar, just like 
you know, having yeah. a drink. Yeah. I remember, and me and Davenport, we would just—he would stand with me. And we would watch people walk by, and we would just watch their reaction because they would walk by like, <laughs> "Was that it? Was that it?" And it's, but it—it got—it was fun, you know. And so yeah. like, maybe I don't know, but I did that a lot. And then it got a bit mental, so you couldn't do that anymore. Yeah, I, I still try to do it at festivals sometimes, but you know. It, it gets a little difficult yeah what was that what was that um snapchat that went around years ago when somebody took a picture Uh, (laughs) yeah i was in i was in uh ireland i forgot what festival it was but jamie had played the the night before me Mm. because i i literally saw when i landed i saw jamie at the airport yeah yo what's up see you later how was the show it was good okay i'm gonna go play it now yeah Get get to the show and I'm walking through the crowd, and some, and some um, some girl says, "Oh my God, there's Jamie Jones," and they run over and take a picture, and then she posted it. She said, "You know, she bought Jamie fucking Jones," and it was like it just it spread like wildfire. <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah, I remember that. That was that was a special time, definitely. Yeah, it was like, and it's funny because like it happened after my show. Or no, it happened before the show. So I played the show and left. Mm. Get on the plane. And by this time, the, the picture's starting to circulate. I'm on the plane. I land. I, I feel like almost every DJ I know sent me a picture like, what the fuck? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, it's like everyone thought it was hilarious. I'm like, did you post it? I didn't it? think it was that funny, but I'm like, huh? Did you post it? Yeah, I reposted it. Yeah. It's hilarious. Yeah. It was, it was, yeah, I guess. I guess, yeah. I remember when that happened. It was pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah. How how has it been coming back playing shows since since COVID and all that shit? Oh, it's been good. I mean, I just did a, a Texas run um, this past weekend. It was amazing. Like, yeah. I, I played Steer Live in Dallas, which is like a huge venue, and it was sold out. It's a big venue, though. Um, and usually, I, usually, I play. Yeah, usually, I would play a smaller club in Dallas, but it's like a huge venue sold out. You know, which is pretty good. Mm. So everything right now is 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 excellent. Sick, no complaints. Sick. What have you got coming out music wise? I'm doing, you know, because I've been talking about doing this album for years, um, and the reason why I haven't is because I really couldn't figure out what sound I wanted to use. Yeah, and you know the way it works, it's like who buys albums now? Yeah, because it was kind of in that turning point. I'm like, is someone really going to buy an MK album? Yeah. I'm like, I don't feel like they would buy an album. I feel like they would buy singles, you know, with Spotify and all the, you know, YouTube and all the streaming platforms. And like, people just, at least not dance music. Mm. You know, maybe a Drake album. Yeah, but who's going to buy an MK album? Yeah. So I never really felt pressured to do it. Um, But now over the past couple months, I've, I've decided to come up with a compilation, a, a, um, a collab album. Okay. A, a collab EP. So it's like it's like six people who each each I'm doing a collab with. Sick. So um I did one with Burns. He's great. Um they got Paul Wolfert. Amazing. I have Aluna. Nice. I have I have Weiss. Sick. Um and I I think I'm talking to Dom about doing one and a few more people that aren't really dance music. Yeah. We're just trying to get it together and just do something like that, you know, six songs, bam. 
are they going to be like short songs or like proper? No, like club, like club, club songs. Club yeah. songs. Like club songs. Amazing. Yeah. And you're going to yeah. put that out as like a project, or they're going to come out as individual. Yeah, as sing- a project. Yeah, sick. As man. a project. As a project. Just something different. Yeah. Um. So that's cool, man. That's, that's cool. it. That's all I got for you. <laughs> Not giving us any secrets. <laughs> I mean, I'll give you something, but <laughs> there's nothing, um, dude. We've just done an hour. Um, that's been it's been kind of. I think this is what everyone wanted to hear. Um, yeah. So thanks. Again, yeah, finally everyone. got to say some things I wanted to say, so that's good. Yeah, man, it's good. It's you know, really. we don't we don't get to talk like about our careers that often. Um, right. So it's right. quite nice. To, it's, well, we get to talk about it in like interviews but it's always edited down and short yeah. formed yeah. so yeah hopefully people people learn a lot and get to know a bit more about you um yeah and if anyone wants to help me write a book hit me up i i want you to write a book really badly yeah but how do you i mean like you sit down and just like okay my mum's just my mum's just released a book she's just she's just, she? she just published a book and she's right wow. i think she's on her third book now writing really and yeah she just she just does like 30 minutes a day hour a day okay and just like really writes like bullet points and then what she wants to talk about and then kind of goes. oh that's a good idea yeah that's a good idea like just have your like write all your chapters out on what you want to talk about right and then kind of split it down into like more micro that's a good idea yeah but you can also get somebody to write for you if, well, yeah, I, I, I'd assume that I would kind of just kind of tell my story mm. and then someone would kind of put it in book form. Mm. Well, I don't know. You have to I do a book before. I don't, I don't know how it goes. You have to do an audio book, though, and you have to read it. Oh, okay. Because there's so yeah, many I mean, there's so many audio books out there where the author doesn't actually read it. I actually I actually okay. listened to the Will Smith one the other day. Have you, Did you? Have you done I it? To it yet. Not yet. I heard it's really good. Though. It's really good. It's really good. It's really good. Um, I, I, I can imagine he talks about a lot of things that you would never imagine. Yeah, that have happened. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's kind of like what we were just talking about. We just, we don't get the chance to talk about it. No one. There's a lot of stuff that goes in on in the industry. A lot of stuff that goes on. Yeah, in they, our lives. Not that they have, but they don't know about. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Just, it's like yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And it's realistically nobody needs to know about it until the time is right to talk right. about it. Exactly. Um, but I did the, just did the Dave Grohl one. That's really interesting. Really? Yeah, it's really oh, good. Wow. It's called Storyteller. Um, okay. I listen to a lot of audiobooks when I'm traveling. Kind of yeah. like gets me through flights. Yeah. yeah. Um, quick one. Have you, this is just geeky talk. Have you heard the Apple Max AirPods? The headphones? Yeah. I have them there right there. Oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> she. I was, Wait, these? Hold on. Are you talking about these? Yeah. Dude. Yeah. I hadn't, I didn't even know Apple bought over here headphones apart from the Beats stuff. Oh, shit. And I was, yeah. in, I was with Shiba the other day and he put them on my head and was like, and I was mind blown. Yeah. They're amazing. They have that thing where you can turn your head and it, it sounds um, yeah. follows your head. Did you see that? Yeah, it's weird that. 
don't know. I don't know what it's called, but yeah, it's a little weird. I don't know what that's I d- called. I don't yeah. know if I like that. Yeah, I know. It is a bit. Weird. It's, it's a little bit unnecessary. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> I just want the sound to always be in my ears, not <laughs> yeah. on the left side yeah. of my ear. But yeah, yeah, I think yeah, it's for their like cool, but yeah. they do um spatial yeah, audio. audio thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah Have yeah, you done yeah. any records in that? Not yet, not yet. I mean, I want to. I did my last single in it. Oh, did you? Yeah, you got somebody to mix it down in spatial audio. But you can do it in Logic, though, right? You can do, yeah, yeah. But you didn't try doing Logic. I just, well, I don't have spatial audio speakers, right? So. I think you need like I don't know what speakers you need for spatial audio to mix it in. Right. Um you probably just need seven, I think. Yeah. Seven point one. Yeah. Stick to my two at the moment. Yeah, yeah no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> right. Two, dude, I'm good. Thanks for coming on, man. Um see you very soon, I'm sure. Oh, I'll see you in hey, Miami. Oh yeah. Bam, there it is. Damn. Sick man. Love you, dude. All right, homie. Keep safe. Love you. Bye, man. Later. And that is a wrap. Um, big love to everybody that listens. Thanks to MK for coming on. Please subscribe, share it, send it to your friends, tell everyone about it. Enjoy, subscribe. See you next time. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.